and welcome to another episode of Emacs Chat. Today's guest is Phil Hackelberg, who you might know as Technomancy and the creator of all sorts of useful things, including CiderKit, uh, which is now with a better defaults package, I think, and um, other good stuff related to Clojure and uh, cool things. So, uh, hello, Phil. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Really looking Hi. forward to getting to chat. Okay. Um, before we, we dive into the, you know, the why you like Emacs and what you use it for, I kind of like showing people that, yes, people do actually have lives outside Emacs. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what your life is like? What else are you interested in? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I Let's see. A big part of what I do is uh, working remotely. So I've been doing that since about 2009. Um, you can see this setting here. This is my uh, converted shed in my backyard that I like to call the code lab. Um, so I just, uh, yeah, a nice little commute across the across the backyard there. Um, <laughs> and that looks like a standing desk. Right. Yeah, uh, standing desk. And then uh, when I get tired of that, I've got the uh, the recliner there. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Go between two extremes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, from your blog, I, I see you you also quite the interest in uh, custom keyboards. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I don't know what you can see over here. But I've been getting into hardware hacking, and this is my latest project: building these uh, these custom ergonomic uh, mechanical keyboards. I've been having a lot of fun with. So. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah. So that and Heroku and, you know, and having kids. How old are your kids now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So um, the older is getting into school. and. Wow. Yeah, quite uh, a handful. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And somehow, you know, somehow with all of that, you still managed to find time to work on uh, lots of Emacs repositories and little packages to help people out. So thank you for, for sharing that with the community. And I just wanted to find out, how did you get into Emacs in the first place? What was that story like? <laughs> yeah, um, let's see. So I that would have been um, about 2003 uh, when I was in university. Um, got into it just... Uh, I learned just learned Dvorak, and I was you know I came down to the choice between Emacs and VI, and VI has the HKJL, <laughs> and I looked at that and I was like that doesn't make any sense. It's like HKJL. <laughs> no, forget that. No, I'm not doing that. I mean I, now I understand like of course you can map that, but at the time it was like you know that that set me down on the right path. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so I guess we were, we're all lucky that you, you did the keyboard switch first before you did the editor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And so, what so what got you interested in it, aside from uh, the fact that you could actually you know use the key bindings and, and change them around? Um, yeah. So I uh, I think a big part of it was was Emacs Lisp, although um, I kind of took a while to ramp up on that, but. Um, I had done. I had uh, it experimented unsuccessfully with like programs, writing programs, you know, metaprogramming, okay. and um, when I was much younger and doing like QBasic or something, of course, <laughs> you can imagine that doesn't work very well. <laughs> um, but then when I saw Lisp, it was like, oh, this actually looks like it's designed to do that in a way that actually makes sense, and that that really intrigued me. But then. Um, once I got into it more and more, uh, what I really came to appreciate more is the just the live feedback and the the notion of you're always interacting with the program as it's running. Uh, that is just such an appealing concept for me in just programs I use day to day. And then as I started doing more professionally, uh, you know, systems that I work with to like having that. Live interaction and being able to inspect and reprogram on the fly is just really yeah. a good boost for me. You mention REPLs a lot in your blog posts, and for, for people who are <laughs> new to Emacs and listening to this, a REPL is a read, evaluate, print loop. So you type something in and it does stuff. Uh, so, um, closure is one of the things that you use REPLs for, and there's Emacs list, of course. Do you use REPLs for anything else? Um, sure, yeah. I. Uh... I've been getting into uh, maintaining an Erlang system at work, and that kind of takes it to the next level because you're 
when you look at your REPL, you're really in a real way communicating with the whole cluster at once. Um, mm -hmm. And you can turn on your tracing from your one console session to trace functions across the entire uh, cluster of however many nodes you have. So uh, that, that really can't appreciate that uh, debugging uh, this, that system at work. So does that mean you managed to convince you to convince all of your other coworkers to switch to Emacs? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's yeah it's, it's uh, back and forth there. Um, I we do uh, working remotely. It's uh, you know it's really important to be able to uh, collaborate and so remotely with with other people who are like the the team I'm I'm on is is all over the this hemisphere uh, all over North America. And so being able to SSH in and, and work together is, is a big plus. And so uh, there are a few Vim people on my team, but, you know, <laughs> they uh, at least they still have that property of, you know, being able to live inside a, a TMX session or something. Yeah. That counts for a lot. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Tmux then and pairing, um, uh, you mentioned that you've been working on a service to make it easier to pair, and I'd love to later on find out how the Vim people are dealing with this. I'm sure it's you know, uh, kind of you you pick the neutral ground for the editor or whatever you slap every so often. But uh, do you want to share a little bit of you know what what is that, and maybe is there a demo that you can show us? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. So. The, um, the idea came from this this really neat service called Pair.io that um, a friend of mine started. Um, unfortunately, it it, uh, it kind of fell over when GitHub deprecated their what is it like their version two API? I think didn't get upgraded from the new version. Um, and I so the way the way it works is you give it a repository and then you give it a list of people you want to collaborate with. And it'll just spin up an EC2 node for you. And it'll check out the project, and it'll do any kind of initialization you need. And it'll get your personal dot files on there and put everyone's public key on the machine for you. And then everyone just lets the stages in and can, can share two messages. So really cool idea. Um, the tricky thing there is uh, his service was... Um, what do you call it? it uh, I always felt a little, he put me on the, the beta list, and I always felt a little reluctant to use it because <laughs> every time I spun something up, it was like he hadn't implemented billing yet. So it was, it was coming out of his credit card. And I was like, oh, do yeah. I really need this? Like, maybe I'll, I'll skip this. But, um, and then, but I mean, it was really, really useful, especially you know, for a remote worker. Uh, and then when it, when it fell over, I thought, uh, or when GitHub turned off their version 2 API, I thought, like, you know, I wonder how hard it would be to, to bring that back up to speed. Um, and But then I always thought about, like, oh, the billing, that sounds really hard. I don't, don't want to bother with that. Uh, dealing with, you know, people's private information. So I never I never got around to it until I realized, like, what if you could, um, what if you could do it in a way that would let you... Um, like bring your make the user bring their own uh, AWS account to it. Yeah. So then, um, like I can get out of the business of like launching these nodes <laughs> on my account and just say, look, here's a, a way to streamline it for you. Uh, and that's what I ended up doing with Syme. So it's uh, uh, yeah, Syme is the S Y M E dot com is the mm. project. So I could I could be glad to do a demo if you're if you're interested. Sure. Um, yeah. If I can um, figure out the, um, uh, oh, if you hover over the Google Hangout screen, you should see a, mm -hmm. a green icon on the left side that looks like a monitor with an arrow, Bingo. and then you can use that to share either a specific application or your entire desktop. Okay, cool. Uh, let me pull that up. And while you're doing that, uh, uh, one of the reasons I was interested in this was because you mentioned in one of your blog posts that you've been uh, having, you know, uh, helping with these uh, user group sessions around Emacs, I guess. Um, kind of just pick a project and, and all work on it together using uh, using Syme uh, to uh, just every have everyone working on the same Tmux session. Yeah, we use this at the Seattle Closure Group. Uh, Closure, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's it's quite nice for that. Um, just because you um, you can get everyone 
in the group on to to join the like a GitHub organization. Yeah. And then I can just say I want all of the the group invited, and um, using the public GitHub API, you can pull in all their public keys and add them to the node. Mm-hmm. So, useful for that. Are you seeing uh, yeah, the, I can the browser? See your screen. Yep, it's got a picture on it. It's got user slash project collaborate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cool. Uh, Wow. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and, and load up. So right, you you collaborate around a project. Um, yeah. I'll go ahead and load up. This is the the repository for the keyboard project, but you know it can be any any open source thing. Yeah. And load that up, and then you go in here, and um, I can put in Sasha C and anyone else I want to invite um, in there, and uh, then, yeah. So I'm not gonna. Uh, oh, I don't want to put my details now. Yeah. So details here. I actually that. have a I have a node I already launched earlier today that yeah. I can jump to. So w- once you fill this in, um, it kicks <laughs> this, this off. This is totally the, the cooking lesson demo of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so what awesome. What you get. What you get eventually. Yeah. Uh, fast forward. You know, uh, three or four minutes. Uh, is this? It says the node is ready. It sets up a DNS entry for it, and then it shows our two faces here that we're the ones that it's preloaded the public keys for. All right, and so, I was searching uh, in, and it did actually pick up my key. Holy cow, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, let me uh, let me pull up. Let's attach. Uh, I'm guessing this is what I need to do. No, there's no session. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I don't remember if I shared the whole the whole desktop or. If you it's can gonna... unshare and then share again. Yeah, let me. <laughs> that's cool. I I was in a I was in a shared teamwork session with somebody else who wanted help with Emacs because I I like helping people one on one. Also, it's a great way to get past these uh, minor inconveniences and errors and all that stuff. Uh, and, but the amazing thing is when you're watching somebody work, you're like, how do you, how the heck did you do that? Or you can be like, oh, you know, I see you're you're uh, you're, ty- you're doing meta X and you're typing everything in manually. Do you know about you know I do and S <laughs> mex Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I just realized I don't have my pub key pair. Sorry, I don't have my key pair on this machine. So oh, do you yeah, want to go yeah. ahead and share from yours? Okay, okay. Um, uh, although the, we 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 don't get the the to, the totally cool what you call it um, fact that you can also uh, type things and have things happen. So anyway, well, actually, let me. I can do it from here uh, on my oh, other yeah. machine. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Fantastic. The uh, it's it's technomancy dot two three eight dot I'm not in. Um, anyway, so for people who are who are watching this, uh, we're uh, so basically technomancy has just spun up a shared Tmux session on an EC2 instance that people can SSH to and uh, and they can authenticate using the SSH public keys that are already on GitHub. So it's great for working on a on a GitHub project together. Uh, so go ahead and attach, and it should load up. Attach. And here we go. So yeah, the Emacs is booting. It's pulling in the packages that I've, that I've preloaded. And uh, yeah, so let's see. Let me make my screen a little bit bigger, too. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that would help, yeah? It's like the first boot, you know, always takes a little longer with the, the packages, but yeah, but that's, so so it's a, it basically spins up the the EC2 instance and then it initializes everything from scratch. Because of course you're starting with, and here we are. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Oops, I I'm making your computer beep. <laughs> Yeah, so then it fetches your dot files from uh, GitHub if you've got a dot simrc repository, and it'll run, oh, I see. run that there. And then you can also have project-specific files for if your project needs a database or some Debian package installed. Yeah, cool. cool. Um, yeah, so this would be great if you're, you know, if you're quickly working with people. Uh, I like the fact that it handles all the pub key stuff automatically. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was a neat discovery that that um, GitHub just exposes those, um, so you can do uh, you know, curl that GitHub.com/keys, and boom, you can just like 
throw that uh, straight into your uh, into your authorized skis entry. I did not know that. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm really happy about the uh, the, uh, the increasing popularity of of cloud instances of you know things like EC2 or or uh, DigitalOcean. Mm -hmm. um, so just as a way for for you to quickly spin up something and you don't have to deal with uh, SSH tunnels and uh, you know yeah. letting people have access to your own machine and all that stuff. So this is good. This is this is all sorts of great stuff. Yeah, it's uh, one gotcha there is that um, you know they're not on your machine, but if you typically if you SSH in your um, if you have SSH agent forwarding on, you can actually still um, the agent basically can uh, answer SSH challenge responses on your behalf, and so mm -hmm. we had to go in and specifically disable that for sign. Uh, mm -hmm. because otherwise you, when you were pairing with someone, they could as long as you were connected, they could impersonate you. Um, ah. so. <laughs> so I probably should disconnect now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, we uh, block that from. Yeah. Oh, okay. From doing that in the SSH server config there. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So you can you can do that on a per um, you know per user basis. There's a little wrapper. Yeah. And, key. and then there's also on a per org basis. Yeah. What this makes me think of, because um, I've, I've actually been talking to a couple of people about, uh, and let me turn off screen sharing so we're back over here. Um, I, I remember I, I, I talked to Nick Ferrier about, uh, he, he was also very interested in this idea of swarm coding, right? Just everyone having a virtual hackathon um, and just working on things together. Uh, and I was also talking to Tom Marble, who's been working on getting more people into Clojure and Emacs and other things like that. Yeah. Really the idea of of people being able to share, and at the same time, you know, maybe they have some kind of Google Hangout or Skype conversation mm -hmm. going on back end, maybe a SIP client instead, um, you know, to, to be able to talk about the code uh, and, and share tips. I think that's a, a, I would love to see more of those sessions. Yeah, you know, um, we've only so far used it for local meetings, but there's, um, you know, it would be a great, uh, it would be a great tool for something where anyone could just pop on from anywhere, anywhere online. Uh, I haven't had the chance to experiment with that myself, but uh, I could see a lot, uh, a lot of potential there for kind of um, just yeah, let's explore this program together, uh, mm -hmm. which can be a lot of fun. It's always a little tricky to try to find a good, a good problem to solve together, um, at least for for the closure group. Uh, <laughs> we've had some. Let's see. We've had a few good sessions there where we've come up with some really interesting but still small problem to solve. But a lot of the times, it's it's hard to find something that can still be challenging but not too contrived. Um, but if you're working on a real world world project and you just want to you want you want to shoulder surf on someone who is, um, then yeah, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> I've seen a couple of uh, live coding screencasts. So basically, you know, mm -hmm. someone's yeah. like, uh, "Oh, I want to customize Emacs to do this." He'll, you know, uh, watch me as I try to figure it out. I've even recorded <laughs> one of these myself. It's, it, yeah. I, I find it only really becomes watchable, at least for my part, um, when, when I recorded mine. If I speed things up, so it looks like I'm typing about four times as fast as I do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But uh, if it's live, you know, you can ask questions. Yeah. And, uh, but I can see if you're, you know, if you're getting stuck on an issue, or if you're trying to mm -hmm. figure out how to code your way around, uh, you know, org or or Emacs internals or or working with REPLs, then um, you yeah. know, maybe you can you you can find an Emacs mentor to pair with you or whatever. Yeah, and I'm hoping that Sign does get used by that. I I wanted to make it as quick as possible to get started. You know, it just takes. A few bits of information, you know, your your account, your project, and who you want to work with, and then you should be off to the races. So, and that's sign s y n e the. So where do where do you? Oh yeah, uh, sign dot heroku app dot com. Um, I will go check that out. Oh, there is no actual uh, app configured at that host name. I am probably. Uh, let me. I'll pull it up here for you. Uh, yeah. Oh, Syme. That's, 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 yeah. that's because I, I was misspelling it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. So, yeah, okay. the, um, 
Cool. Uh, I was really happy with how uh, it ended up being pretty simple once I once I once I narrowed it down to just like you know we're gonna get the credentials and we're gonna do this on the user's behalf. Um, it's about like a 500 line closure web application, so I, I'm able to actually use that to when people have questions about how to do a specific technique, I can just send them to that. Mm-hmm. I've gotten some pull requests. So have you written an Emacs interface for it yet? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that could be interesting, where you could launch it just like MX. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there actually, uh, <laughs> throw, in a, throw in a little REST API on top of that uh, with GitHub OAuth. Uh, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be out of the question. Yeah, that would be interesting yeah. to visit a like, learning OAuth project. And then it could uh, it could pick up the current repository you're working in naturally, and you know. Yeah, like, right. Uh, mm. That could be cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun how you can just um, tweak all these things and and make them more efficient. I, I was I, I had a nice uh, stroll through your config earlier, and oh. um, I was very amused because one of one of the functions you had commented out was something that limited the size of your functions. <laughs> That's a fun one, yeah. Uh, let's see. I forget what that was called, but someone on IRC size was just saying size limit. Yeah, someone on IRC was just saying like, man, no function should ever be more than twenty-five lines. I'm like, yeah, that's that seems like reasonable, right? I wonder how hard it would be to like <laughs> enforce that, you know? And so it turns out not that hard. There's like, is it before change hooks or something where you can, you if you throw an error in there, something the change doesn't actually get applied. Uh, so yeah, this is just you know if you try to write a function that gets too long, it's like nope, sorry, delete some lines. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that turned on for yeah. obvious reasons, uh, <laughs> but I just just you know as an experiment, like I bet you could do that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting because your config was actually shorter than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. In the sense that I, I guess you've pushed a lot of it out to packages. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's been kind of my Emacs journey uh, in a way. <laughs> so back in uh, 2008, I guess, uh, there was Tromi's Elpa was the only, only package management system. And it was, um, it was still, I think when I started using it, there were only like 20 packages or something. And every time you wanted to upload one, you had to email him, and he'd be like, OK, I've uploaded it. Uh, but I, I could see a lot of potential there. Uh, people were, at the time, a lot of people were just installing off the Emacs wiki, which kind of made me a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, at the time, at the time, I, I started the Emacs starter kit that was just a Git repository that you cloned and used that as your own dot .files, and that really took off. Um, it gained quite a lot of traction, but over time, uh, I've come to appreciate that it's a little too magic, I think. <laughs> mm. um, I would get a lot of people coming in to chat or whatever and just saying, like, ah, it's doing this thing, and I don't know why. And it's a, like, for me, I think, oh, that thing is great, but for them, you know, yeah, yeah it tastes very so. And the main thing wasn't that it was doing the wrong thing, but the main thing was that it was just this pile of stuff that they grabbed and they didn't really have a deeper understanding there. So mm-hmm. um, I've started to uh, shy away from that approach and be more about, uh, well, if there's this cool thing you want to share, then like the package should, the Emacs package should be like the unit of sharing. Uh, and that can be documented. It can do one thing really well. And you know you can decide. When you're pulling that in, like, is this worth the, you know, the, the trade-offs? And you can you can make that on a much more granular level. Mm-hmm. I so feel like, like better, better defaults, sort of that size. Right. Yeah. So um, better defaults is a is a library I took that I basically took the starter kit and hacked off anything that could possibly be objectionable. Uh, <laughs> and this is just like this is what like. 99% of all Emacs users can agree on, like, this is the way Emacs should work. And um, so very little magic and also very well documented. So, um, yeah. 
Although it's kind of funny because um, yeah, when you're talking about that, new users would probably benefit the most from better defaults. I actually think they should keep their menu bar on at least for the first little while. <laughs> but, and the mm, demo, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it, it definitely it's 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 very similar to the kind of config that I've eventually uh, grown towards. Also, you know, just minimal, um, diminished in some cases from a personal config and so forth. Yeah, I think the menu bar is good in in a lot of modes. But one thing that I've seen is people it can be misleading because people assume that uh, everything is in the menu bar, and they yeah. they sometimes will not look beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I tend to, sometimes I'll turn it on if I'm exploring a new mode, and I know that that mode does a good job of using the mini bar. Like GNU's, when I was using GNU's, was pretty, uh, pretty good about that. But um, yeah, uh, not having the mini bar can be a little disorienting. But it does force you to learn how the, the help commands work, which are guaranteed to cover everything. So, mm -hmm. um, But yeah, there's, there's room for it, definitely. Yeah. Since you were learning Emacs and Emacs Lisp without the help of all these lovely things, what helped you learn about you know how to customize Emacs to the extent that you have? Oh, probably nothing had as big an impact as the IRC channel. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I started using Emacs a little bit before I was using IRC, but I didn't really take off and like uh, dig in uh, until until that point. It's it's so weird. I mean, you you know what it's like, but uh, it's such a mishmash of people from all over talking about all kinds of different things. <laughs> and uh, occasionally, very rarely, <laughs> you know, sometimes you manage to talk about Emacs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's it's a little ridiculous, but um, it's a it's a it's a great community. I love hanging out there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it just exposes you to so many different viewpoints that most of the Channels I'm in on Freenode are specific to one language or one application, uh, where you get you don't get as much uh, much diversity of opinion uh, <laughs> and backgrounds too. So. Yeah, and it's it's great for the totally random. I had no idea Emacs could do that when you oh, see yeah. somebody's answers to the question. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yeah. So IRC, gotta be on it. Yeah. Yeah. Although. <laughs> Yeah, it can be a little distracting at times too, especially uh, if you work well. If you work remotely, it's like this dual, you know, keeps you sane, but then like depends on your definition of sanity whether, uh, mm -hmm. whether that actually happens or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Are there other interesting snippets in your config? Like, how else have you, you know, have you, what 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 have you tried, or also what have you discarded from it since you you know you've cut mm -hmm. it down to such a size? Yeah, let's see. Uh, well, I I was using GNU's for a long time, and um, I ended up switching there to MU4E, which is uh, more of a, like a, a search-based interface to email. Mm. <clears throat> and I like that a lot. Uh, it's it works really well. Um, I if you're used to Gmail and the the way that it kind of puts search at front and center, um, it does a good job of of that as well. Um, and it's it's a lot more uh, accessible than the news, which can kind of feel like a bit of a yeah dungeon crawl <laughs> to try to find what you need. <laughs> it's immensely powerful, but also very very large. <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah, and I, have to, I have tons of respect for it. I just I just end up um, the MU4E suits my needs better. Also, MU4E is designed to be asynchronous from the ground up, so yeah. no, um, no blocking calls there, which is, is quite nice. Oh, that's nice. <coughs> yeah, um, GNU says, um, introduce some delays to my workflow from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a hard problem just not having really solid concurrency primitives in the runtime. Now, you've um, also got a, a bunch of other packages that you use in addition to uh, ME4E. Um, yeah. I have your, your init file in front of me, so I can rattle them off and you can tell us, oh, that's you know interesting <laughs> things that, that are happening here. But of course, you've got better defaults. Since you have it, you might as well take advantage of it. Uh, closure mm -hmm. Um that mm -hmm. 
I, I keep going back to uh, going back to that quote. I think it was Wagner who passed it on from me. Um, from what he heard you say, that if you're, you know, if you're not the kind of person who can deal with power editors or smart parents, you become that kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's for it's for people. What kind of person you should aspire to be? <laughs> No, uh, what is it like for you? I mean, how how do you wrap your brain around not just the the slurping and barfing, but all the other things you can do with it? I think uh, the right. So the the main thing people get tripped up on, I think, is um, part it will just refuse to do certain things, right? Um, <laughs> when it can tell that those operations will result in like broken pairing, right? Uh, the number of times I've hit Control Q close parenthesis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's trying to set you on the the right path, but um, so it does that by just making sure that all the operations it does are uh, protected. Like you can't every time you insert a paren, you know you have to insert a, a matching one, and every time you kill, you can only kill up to the end. Uh, otherwise, that would leave you in an invalid state. And as long as you um, as long as you limit yourself to the commands that Pirate knows about, then you know it provides this this guarantee that you have. Um, but yeah, so Control W kill region is not one of those commands. So you you have to train yourself to avoid that when you're using when you use kill region. You're saying no Pirate, like I know better than you, which is usually not the case. Uh, <laughs> but when you once you've internalized that, you end up you end up operating on a higher level where you're not thinking in terms of characters anymore. You're thinking in terms of expressions. Huh. Uh, you're saying, uh, I want to kill this this whole string or this whole form, not like I want to kill this point up to this point. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, it's, it's like, it's higher, higher level commands, I would say. Okay. Uh, I got and a lot of people, well, Especially for people who are new to Lisp, they think like this is so intimidating seeing all these parentheses everywhere. And if you have prided on, then it's it's really just. Uh, I mean, obviously it does take some adaptation, but it's no additional mental overhead for you. Mm. Um, it's it's just. Uh, yeah, you're changing the structure directly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so basically, just keep at it and. Keep your fingers off Control W, and eventually you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing you can do is just unbind Control W temporarily, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or change it to another another bind. That's awesome. Okay. Um, yeah. That's so actually, what I was, one thing I did was, um, well, I, I started uh, when I started using my uh, forty percent keyboard. So this is yeah. this is my travel board that I designed. Uh -huh. um, so it has, you can see it has very few keys, 42 yeah. keys to be precise. Um, and it, I had to move tab kind of way off to the corner there. It's not very convenient. Uh, and so most command, most programs that are properly Unix-y, like uh, Emacs and anything running in a terminal, will interpret uh, Control-I as a tab. Mm -hmm. uh, because inside a terminal, they're literally yeah. the same. Pressing tab sends a Control-I key code, but Emacs does the translation even when it's in a GUI, and I was able to teach uh, my web browser to do the same. Uh, but that was great when I was on here. But it was I was so tempting. I, I kept wanting to push this key here that doesn't actually exist. So what I ended up doing was taking my regular keyboard that I use when I'm in the office and just fucking out that key. And uh, so there's no there's no more keycap there anymore. And so then I I well. It, you learn really quick then, right? That's really hardcore. I remember the time I, I think I, I bound my left control to uh to to ring a bell. Oh wow. Because <laughs> I was trying to yeah. get the capsis control thing. Same um, deal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so negative reinforcement are just making things uh, less functional to force yourself to new ways. Um, I'm a little curious because you you mentioned like 42 keys. You'd imagine that with Emacs you'd want to add more keys instead of <laughs> reduce the number of keys. So how does it all work with key chords and stuff? Yeah, uh, well, a big part of it is that um, you can see the two here are, okay. um, it just puts way more on your thumbs. Uh -huh. So like these are control and alt. So they're much more accessible uh, and like shift. But then there, um, 
so that that uh, is it doesn't make more room available, but it does make it uh, nicer on your hands. But then also um, the most of the punctuation is on the FN layer, so you kind of have to hold down FN and then start to hit the um, punctuation. But for a lot of the punctuation, you're, you need shift for it anyway. Like the parentheses, you're pressing shift and then going way up to the um, you know to the top right. And on this keyboard, it's just uh, the parentheses are on the home row, so it's actually <laughs> less reaching overall anyway. Designed by a list programmer. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell, yeah, the, the front and center, you know, the parentheses. I'm surprised they even need a shift or a function key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it still it takes like three weeks or so, three or four weeks to get accustomed to it. Uh, and I was like remapping it as I was going to, so it wasn't even staying wow. still. Uh, but, I mean, once you, once you get down to it, I'd say you might take a... Once you're once you're totally adjusted to it, it might be slightly slower than a than a full size keyboard, but, uh, but not not by much. Uh, and it is how quickly you actually type. Um, around right around a hundred um, words per minute. I've uh, yeah, I, I've been throwing it for a loop recently with with all this shifting mm -hmm. around. Yeah, so, um, no And then when you're doing programming, you know, you got all that. Uh, there's more punctuation, so you end up going a little slower. But, yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to Sally uh, last week about how he was mm -hmm. he's constantly changing his key bindings, too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> this is with your brain. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I guess you eventually get used to it. Um, and I noticed that your, 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 your actual key bindings in your Emacs configuration are not as long as you, one would expect with, um, with a highly customized keyboard and everything. I guess you just leave mm -hmm. everything else where they are. Um, yeah, so a lot of it, I, uh, I mean, I have the Emacs commandings, and then I have also, um, I use a small program called uh, XBind Keys oh. that will let you run, basically, uh, it's like, a, like binding shell commands to an Emacs, but, uh, you know, it works when you're in the browser or yeah. outside Emacs, which for me is just in the browser. <laughs> Get all my music, or um, you know, a, a lot of stuff gets uh, gets shifted out to there if I want to want to have it accessible everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I went through when I stopped using the starter kit and switched over to better defaults. I went through and like uh, went with the clear slate, and I just brought back in the ones that I felt like I missed. So. Mm. Now declaring Emacs bankruptcy. <laughs> Starting from clean straight slate and bring your config slowly back in. Yeah. yeah that's cool. <laughs> so. Uh, okay, yeah, so uh, that was the uh, <laughs> uh, digression from Pyredit. <laughs> oh, got, sure, yeah. What's idle highlight mode? I haven't actually played around with that. Oh, yeah, that's another one that actually came out of the Emacs IRC channel. I think someone asked a question about how do you. Um, uh, oh, basically, how it works is you just. When you leave the point on any identifier for mm -hmm. a while, it will um, it'll highlight all other instances oh. of that identifier. Um, so it's a thing you see in IDEs fairly often. Uh, Dr. Racket does it does a does a, a particularly good job of it because it actually works with Lexicoscope, which is really oh. cool. And mine is just a dumb regex, but um, yeah. Someone so someone just drops on the IRC channel and asks, "How do you do this?" And and someone else is like, "Oh, I, it can't be that hard." I, you know, let me just blah, 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 blah. and they put it in a you know a gist or something, and it's like, do you mind if I like take that because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I'm yeah. getting um, I'm getting a picture here of how a lot of Emacs customizations come to be. They're like, oh, I have this crazy idea. Oh, that doesn't look like it seems that you know. Oh it, yeah. It doesn't seem to be hard. Uh, well, let's let me go spend uh, four hours working on this instead of my actual work. <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. I have to I have to admit to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I wrote, um, I have a, <clears throat> it's called a paste site called Essie Paste that I wrote uh, when, I think it must have been back when pasty.org, before uh, GIST launched, uh, during downtime of this other paste site that I was using. <laughs> like, you know what, why isn't this just static files? Oh, this is annoying. So I'll just, so it just, Uses Emacs to HTMLize the font lock settings, and then uses SCP to just put it on a web server and like doesn't go down. 
And so that's how you so, keep your uh, configuration small. So you package up all these little bits of functionality and push it out there. But I think it's it's funny that you, you're like, oh, you know, let me just go fix this while this other service is out <laughs> and make things happen. Or like, oh, I'm just going to sit down during a flight to San Francisco and, you know, bash out this, uh, uh, these fixes for this rebel or whatever. Very cool stuff. Well, to be fair, that one I didn't actually end up finishing. Uh, that yeah, you're probably talking about cider, yeah. uh, which I kind of I kind of put together a proof of concept, and then I was like, oh, this is more complicated than I thought it would be, and I threw it out there, and someone else ran with it, and I was really glad that they did. They did, um, they did a pretty good job. That's the um, the closure ripple uh, client. Emacs. Um, I don't suppose you've got, you know, uh, I know this isn't your your uh, normal setup computer, <laughs> but uh, I don't suppose you have a demo of what the lovely closure or list development environment looks like? Um, you know, I could probably, on the um, on the sign note, I could pull that up. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Let me see. I can switch back to screen shares on my side. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I... All right. I'm here. Cool. Okay. In mind. I will make my screen bigger. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here we go. So this is line again, the um, kind of like the project automation tool. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to need Cider. Cider being the US client for the, the um, REPL protocol that Clojure uses. It's kind of a, it's similar to how Slime works, where you have the, um, <coughs> the language runtime that opens a, a socket yeah. the server, and then you use Emacs as a client to connect to that. Um, yeah. And you have you know, multiple, um, multiple different clients connecting there. I'm going to apologize up front because I, have, I don't know off the top of my head if this is going to work on these particular doc files, but I'm going to try here. Um, so this is going to. Oh, there's some uh, Java. Yeah, that's easy to fix, but. Um, I was swaying around with Cider um, because I was I started looking into Clojure and it was really easy to get going, and it was great because I could actually get it working with Org, Babel, literate programming, sort of put stuff in blocks and execute them in the, the you know just send them to the code and have the output show up there. So yeah, um, I haven't played with that myself, but um, it, yeah, they, they've done a good job of of hooking it into various. Cooling systems. Um, that's still installed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I um, and actually, I just realized. Unfortunately, this is not going to be the latest version of Cider, which is, which looks quite a bit nicer, uh, but is um, yeah not available on online yet. That's okay. If if we can get people to say, oh, that looks interesting, and then they can they can have their minds totally blown by the newest version, and that's all good. And then they'll have more Emacs converts. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the one of the biggest complaints about closure development, unfortunately, is that the start time for the the REPL is rather high. Um, but typically, with uh, you know closure and other lists, you end up starting a session for the day and you connect. You just stay connected for days on end. And oh. You typically only restart if you had to. You know, clear out some bad state or uh, add a new dependency or something like that. So. so it's exactly the Emacs startup philosophy then. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, that's that's part of list heritage going back to the eighties. <laughs> all right, so you've got it's a user prompt and and uh, this is where people can put all sorts of things in. Yeah, um, and then yeah, you open up your your. Uh, Source files and you need space declaration. I have a white background here, so this is probably going to look. Oh really no, weird. I'm in a dark background over here. I can no, turn off my colors. Uh, I can turn off HLI mode. Yeah, there which you go. Which makes it a little reasonable there. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's hard to think of something 
Hello world, I suppose. Oh, there you go. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so yeah, I just file that and then change to that, change the the REPL to the namespace here and um, pass a keyword in there. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's uh, yeah there's quite a bit more. Like the actually the newest version has much better uh, like stack trace. Uh, Things. So if you're going to put in something like this, uh, you get. Um, mm. Oh yeah, that's that's. Um, the stack traces are often a, a complaint with closure, but um, the new cider does a, a really good job of like showing you just what you're. Uh, so what this you're is not a. Yeah, this is not a representative demo of of uh, cider awesomeness. You should go for the the real thing. But uh, it's interesting to see how quickly you can spin that up in a in a fresh EC2 for pairing or other things like that. Right. So typically, I um I ended up kicking this off with a non-closure project. But mm -hmm. um, if you use Sign to collaborate on a closure project, then it's going to go in and see, oh, this is a closure project, and it's going to install Lime again. Java for you on the OpenJDK. Um, so you wouldn't have to go through the boring uh, prerequisites. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think this is probably, this machine is probably configured for oh, better defaults as well. But I think this offline, so you know, if we're going to hack on that, we could go in and make some changes there. Yeah, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's been yeah, it's been useful for me. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you saw, but we've got the the line again. You have the shirt. Right there. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, part of my job at Roku is uh, is maintaining the closure support for the platform. So mm -hmm. uh, I get to work on this my one of my big open source projects uh, work, which is uh, which is worked out really well. Yay, Heroku. <laughs> so the other question then is, um, have you gotten your kids to start using Emacs and Closure? Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so that's that's a great question. I uh, I have been, right now I'm starting more on uh, Learn to Type, which is yeah. a great prerequisite. But um, in the meantime, uh, there are a couple things I've been doing. Um, there's a project called Scratch, which is from the MIT Media Lab. Um, yeah, so you're familiar. Mm. Uh, it's um, it's a really fascinating kind of drag and drop uh, environment for building programming skills in, in children uh, and you know grown ups that want to have fun too. Uh, but it's it's so immediate and it's so um, you know eye grabbing. It's so obvious how to just put the pieces together. You know, if you want to get a loop, you just grab a loop and bring it over and you put in the numbers and you say these are the these are the steps you do in between. You know. Make your character. It's it's all based around sprites and characters. So um, for someone who hasn't developed a lot of abstract reasoning, it's yeah. so uh, it's so obvious, like that. You know, this character instead of like manipulating numbers or something, you're saying, I want to change my x position, and there you go. It's it's moving. So like kids can get a grasp of things like the Cartesian plane or. Um, yeah. Things like that, really uh, intuitively, in a way that that relates to what they know already. I'm really happy with that. Um, but it does kind of like, I guess there's an abstraction ceiling to it. You know, you can't you can't do uh, very much uh, factoring out of functions and things like that. Uh, things like recursion uh, <laughs> are very difficult to to address. If you can get your, your four-year-old or your six-year-old understanding recursion, they'll be yeah. well ahead of a lot of undergraduates. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, it's just tedious to to not be able to copy and paste and things like that too. So um, it's it's got its strength in that it's really it's really accessible and appealing. But um, I've also been looking at Racket for um, kind of the more uh, 
the next step there, uh, which is, uh, yeah, so Racket's a dialect of Scheme originally that has kind of grown to be more, um, uh, more than just this small Scheme standard uh, and become a lot more practical, but it also has really fantastic teaching materials for it. Um, and the one that I'm most interested in that I've, I've started reading for myself is How to Design Programs, um, htdp.org, uh, where it, um, it talks about programming in terms of r really interesting terms in that it starts off with, like, you know, starts off with arithmetic. You have your numbers. These are, you know, these are values that you can, you can operate on them by passing them to functions and you get you get numbers back, and it says, oh, by the way, strings are the same way. Strings are values. You pass them to functions, you get, you get strings back. And then, like, in the first chapter, it says, oh, yeah, and images, same thing. You know, <laughs> these are just values. You can paste an image into the racket REPL, and it's there. It's a, it's, you can assign it to a variable. Uh, you can pass it to a function, and you can compose them. You can say, like, I'm going to... I'm gonna, overlay these, I'm going to put them side by side. Oh, wow. And so, like, the aha moment for me was just they were saying, so you have an image of animation is really just a reduce of a function that returns images over a range of, uh, a frame range. That's all it takes. That's uh, awesome. And that's, like, that's the first chapter. Yeah, how to design programs is, is that book, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to diving deeper into it. Um, kind of, I have a little bit of like buffer time while my while my kids learn to type, and uh, <laughs> well, it's time for me to get ahead as the as the teacher. <laughs> uh, That's wonderful. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's got a nice uh, it's got a nice Emacs mode similar to Cider, uh, but for kids, I think Dr. Racket is going to be, uh, Dr. Racket's ID that should for Racket is probably going to be a little more accessible. Um, yeah. And that I would wait on Emacs until there's more of a, more of a foundation there. Uh, and so they get a little more literacy there. Um, so, <laughs> and then and, yeah. and they can reliably hit two or three keys at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, too, yeah. <laughs> We've done a little bit in Dr. Racket with me driving. Uh, yeah. We did some, uh, what do you call it, uh, Caesar ciphers, where you do, um, you know, A is 1, B is 2, and then you can add an offset. So they've been sending messages wow. to their grandparents and back and forth uh, using a code wheel, and I wanted to show them how it could be so much easier writing a program for it. So that was a big hit. Great. You're teaching your kids cryptography. Very, very basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so fun to see how they uh, how they really get into something like that and no secret messages. Okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. And so you're you're helping the kids learn, and they're you know you get to see what they what they struggle with, what they take to, what they really resonate with. And I also like the fact that a lot of your, you know, with, with better defaults and the, some of these other packages, you're also working on making Emacs easier for other people to get into. You know, maybe they're, they're new to Emacs and they're, they're trying things out, and at least they don't have to be mystified by all these um, um, antiquated uh, <laughs> options. Yeah, I, uh, I, like to, uh, I like to take usability pretty seriously and, and see how far I can push it. Um, that was a big part of, um, I think, what I was doing with Line again in the closure world mm -hmm. and, and why that took off is that it was needs to be very tedious to try to get started and you know, being able to automate that and make it very declarative uh, goes a long way. And uh, I think we've come a long way since you know, 2008 with packages and just the availability and easy installation there. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot more you can do. Um, I... Um, with the starter kit, uh, my plan has been for, you know, version three to be uh, like no software, to be have it just be uh, prose documentation, where it says, um, here are, uh, you know, here's where to get started with the with the built-in tutorials, and then once you're done there, like, here are some pointers to the modes that you would you would hopefully find the most useful, and 
and contribute to the documentation of individual nodes more and try to get uh, get make sure they're packaged well um, and easy easy to get started with. So um, yeah, haven't haven't made a lot of uh, progress in there apart from the better defaults package, I think, which was the, the first step there. But yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to help out with that. You know, I'd love to see what your your to do list of ideas <laughs> looks like for that one. Um, but actually, you know, since since you care a lot about usability and, and packaging and documentation, I was curious if there were some packages that you really liked or look, looked up to because they were well-packaged or well-documented or very hmm. approachable. What are the stars for you? Um, probably. I uh, I was really impressed by the documentation of Magit uh, when I first got started with it. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite uh, quite thorough for, uh, for a third-party package. I feel like the built-in stuff is actually usually pretty solid, like um, anything that, that ships with Emacs. Um, but with the community packages, it can often be more hit or miss, and they did a, they did a good job right there with info manual. Uh, Slimes manual is really good uh, if you're doing common list. Um, and uh, yeah, like org, I guess, is, is technically built-in, but... Uh, they do a really good job of making sure everything's really thorough. But on the other hand, something I like almost as much as a well-documented package is a package that's so small that it's just obvious, you know? Yeah. Uh, like uh, idle highlight, I think, is that way. It's like it does what it says on the tin, and you're never going to need to configure it. Or, I mean, it's just it's just the one hook, and that's it, right? Like, yeah. um yeah, uh, and there's there's more uh, that are like that that I feel like if you can just find your thing and, and nail it, you know, that's that's great. Um, yeah, I feel like I I feel like I do is right on the edge of that, but not quite there because there's still there's still some tricky uh, tricky places there where. Um, like, say you're, you're using I do and you want to create a new file, but um, it keeps jumping to an existing file. Yeah. Uh, like, that, a lot of newcomers to I do are like, oh, this is, this is my, I'm, I'm getting rid of this, where, you know, it's not obvious, but you press Control F there and yeah. it disables it temporarily. So, um, I don't have a great, great answer there, but I, I just, I wish it was, I wish there was that, that one thing that would, that would stop being a roadblock, because, like, I do just makes things so much smoother. Um, yeah. yeah, when you're, when you're doing that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, something like that would make it a whole lot easier for for everyone to to get started with. Um, I tend to recommend it to everyone. <laughs> Either that or or Helm, which is actually the one that I end up using. Oh, okay. I I've heard good things about that, but um, I haven't I haven't actually gotten a chance yet to try it. Um, cool. That looks like a massive water no. watershed, by the way. But <laughs> no. yeah, that's uh, the one thing about being out in the in the shed in the backyard is uh, there's no plumbing out here. There's electricity and network and heat, but no plumbing. So. I know the fact <laughs> that you have networking in your shed. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, the beyond that is I guess I can show you this. This is I'm kind of, I'm kind of proud of this. Um, but over here is my um, my heater that keeps me alive during the winter months. Uh, but I don't know how much of that. I see it. Yeah, I, I so see the lights. You can yeah. see that's a relay uh, yeah. that is hooked up to this. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you can see yeah, that. That's a mm -hmm. that's a Beaglebone Black. Uh, it's oh, got yeah, like yeah. a single board. Uh, Linux computer, and that is controlling the heater via a relay uh, with an XMPB bot uh, running on there. So I can just go into <laughs> my chat and be like, uh, I need the heat on, so I'm going to go out later today, bring it up, and then I can query it, too, to try to find out, uh, you know, has the heater got a chance to kick in yet? Uh, Sorry, you said you're talking to it through chat. Um, so, like, you're, you're in the ERC, and you're telling your shed to be warmer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a kick out of that, yeah. And that's actually, 
kind of how I how I picked up Erlang. Uh, was able to, to use <laughs> Erlang for that, and now I'm using it at work, so it turned out pretty well. Wow. Okay, I think that is an excellent note to wrap up on. Uh, you know, you get to uh, you get to the point where you're controlling your environment using Emacs. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, it would be interesting to see if there's a package for that and if other people end up using it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thank you so yeah. much. I'm going to wrap up over here. Folks can Great. find this on the event page. They'll also post it up on emacslife.com. There will be a transcript at some point as well, um, which will be interesting as I try to spell all the lovely things that we have mentioned. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, well thanks again. I'm going to stop the broadcast here. And